It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Monday, September 11th, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. A dead humpback whale was spotted floating in the water about 30 miles south of Sitka on September 6th. Now researchers are hoping it will wash ashore so they can examine it. Mandy Keough is a marine mammal stranding coordinator with NOAA Fisheries in Juneau. She says they received word from the Coast Guard that the whale was floating near Whale Bay last week and fairly decomposed. So it's not completely uncommon to have humpback whales um, strand or floating in the water. So, but we do try to collect as much information around those events and then try to examine the carcass if we can. In late August, NOAA opened an investigation after a humpback whale calf was found dead near Juneau of an apparent vessel strike. Keough says without an examination, she can't speculate the cause of this whale's death. But initial video footage has given researchers a bit of information. It looks to be intact, floating belly up. Sometimes from photos and videos, we can tell whether or not it's a killer whale predation. They seem to target certain areas of the whale, like the tongue and the jaw. Um, That part looked intact to me, but I couldn't see the full animal. So without actually doing a postmortem examination, we don't know what the cause of death is. At least there was nothing obviously wrong. Keo says right now the floating whale is inaccessible to researchers, but local whale biologist Dr. Lauren Wild is on the case. And if the whale washes up on shore in an accessible area, she'll perform a post-mortem examination on it. Keo hopes that if any boaters see the whale or any stranded marine mammals, they'll call NOAA's 24-hour hotline, 877-925-7773. Whether it's in Sitka Sound or the Bering Sea, a beach cleanup is a major undertaking. Recently, the Ocean Conservancy and the Sitka Sound Science Center took an unusual group of people on a beach cleanup near Sitka to wrap their hands around some marine debris and to wrap their minds around what to do about it. KCAW's Meredith Reddick helped in the cleanup and filed this report. The original destination for the cleanup is a cove on Bjorka Island outside of Sitka, but that beach has too much kelp for the boat to safely offload passengers, so the captain reroutes. To get off at the second destination on the eastern side of Kruzoff Island means waiting an hour for the tide to come in. I will say that it's never gone exactly how I thought it would when I was doing the planning. Christina Tierman coordinates the Arctic Marine Debris Program for the Ocean Conservancy. She is all too familiar with the challenges of marine debris cleanup in Alaska. It's hard It's hard to do cleanups here. It's hard to get to the beaches that need the most help because those beaches are often the ones that are the most exposed. And so you can imagine that the reason that they're covered in driftwood and garbage is because there's waves that are crashing and um, there's all these other factors um, that, you know, lead to marine debris being there also lead to those beaches being difficult to access. After waiting for the tide to turn, the group of 40, including volunteers, Coast Guard commanders, and congressional staffers from Senator Dan Sullivan's office, disembarks on the Black Sand Beach. The scene looks a little like an Easter egg hunt, with debris seekers peering under rocks and behind tufts of beach grass for trash. Lots of plastic water bottles. Oh, and we found a Korean hagfish, part of a Korean hagfish trap. 
Linda Bankin, who runs the Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association in Sitka, helps heave part of a brightly colored trawl net out from under a driftwood log. It's so heavy that a dozen people are enlisted to carry the pieces back to the boat. Tierman says this net and much of the debris that washes up on Alaska's shores can be traced to sources many miles away. You know, we saw after the 2011 tsunami in Japan, a lot of tsunami debris come over this way. Um, and, and so a lot of the debris just comes from all over. One of Alaska's debris hotspots is around St. Paul Island, 1,300 miles from Sitka in the Bering Sea. Lauren Devine runs the Ecosystem Conservation Office for the Aleut community of St. Paul. She's here today with her 18-month-old daughter, Amelia, who is squatting in tiny extra tufts in the sand. Can you get the debris off the ground? Can you pick up the trash? Looks like this. That might be our first piece of trash. In St. Paul, Devine says debris has a major impact on the island's fur seal population. What we get is like packing bands or um, pieces of trawl net or fishing line that are wrapped around the seals and it usually happens when they're really young and they go into the water for the first time or over their first winter and then they get, they try to swim through something, they get it stuck around their neck and then they grow. In remote Alaska, the challenge doesn't end when beaches are clean. Disposal is a huge problem. She spent part of the summer repackaging debris from a previous cleanup. She says the sacks full of garbage sat out so long that the bags started to degrade. It's like over 300 super sacks that have never been able to get backhauled. So they were sitting out in the environment and they basically like grew back into the landscape and then started degrading and putting the debris back out in the environment. Yeah, back out in the environment. Marine debris is not only dangerous for wildlife, it can also be a hazard to human health and safety. Shellfish in Sitka, which are an important subsistence food, have been found to contain microplastics. Ghost fishing, where abandoned fishing gear continues to catch and kill fish, is another side effect. Benkin says it can even be perilous to fishermen. So, yeah, just last month we had the one-day king salmon opening one day. And we had a member who was, it was starting off really well in the morning, he was catching things, and then he got tangled in a huge piece of trawl web, took out two of his full lines, and it was tangled in his stabilizer. As they walk along the beach, researchers from the Ocean Conservancy are cataloging the types of debris with clipboards and pencils. Part of their goal is to collect data on what is washing up and where. That could help guide lawmakers to advocate for policies to help prevent marine debris from accumulating. Back at Sitka's Crescent Harbor, volunteers load two full truckloads of debris, which will be sorted for recycling or hauled to the waste transfer station. With that, today's cleanup is over, and one small piece of Alaska's coastline is a little bit cleaner. Tierman says that even though there's still work to do, building awareness of the problem by hosting cleanups and by sharing photos and data from the events is a good first step. I think a lot of people picture the Alaskan wilderness and ecosystems as being really, you know, clean um, and not impacted by garbage because, you know, our population is so low. But I think when people see photos of the beaches here and, and... Um, just how impacted they are by marine debris. It's really eye-opening. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Meredith Reddick.
Bristol Bay could see fewer sockeye return next year. That's according to the preliminary preseason forecast from the Fisheries Research Institute in Aleknagik. The forecast reports on Bristol Bay as a whole, and researchers say it gives members of the fishery perspective two months before the formal forecast is announced. KDLG's Christina McDermott has more. This is the first year the Fisheries Research Institute has released a preliminary preseason forecast. Its scientists are predicting a run of just under 39 million sockeye. That's about 30% fewer fish than the 10-year average. Curry Cunningham is a fisheries professor at the University of Alaska Fairbanks and a member of the research team. He says the preliminary forecast, which is for Bristol Bay generally, gives fishers perspective for next year a little earlier than usual. Now, this year, we uh, wanted to put out a product a bit earlier, basically on a timeline when the last in-season sort of daily release from the Alaska Department of Fishing Game was available, kind of end of July, beginning of August. This preliminary forecast is based on in-season estimates of total harvest and escapement numbers and in-season age information from the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Cunningham says that because the numbers aren't finalized and the by river run reconstruction process not yet undertaken, the preliminary forecast is less accurate than the formal preseason forecast released each year in November. So the total sockeye salmon run to Bristol Bay are, you know, standard preseason forecast, our formal preseason forecast that comes out in November has an error rate of about 15%. This has a higher error rate of about 18% at the Bristol Bay scale. Cunningham says both forecasts make predictions based on returning sockeye's ocean age or how long the fish have spent at sea. This year, he says about 80% of returning fish were ocean three sockeye. Cunningham says that's usually as old as fish get before coming back. So a key part of the, the lower forecast this year, one, you know, these systems change in productivity over time, number one. And number two, uh, we were seeing this sort of strong cohort that was represented as two ocean fish in 2022 and three ocean fish in 2023. They've now passed through the system and it seems like we're going to see a, a slightly lower run next year. Next year, Cunningham says they're expecting mostly ocean two fish to return, which means fishers might see smaller sockeye. November's formal preseason forecast, which is modeled with finalized data, will include details on how many fish to expect in each district and run times. In Dillingham, I'm Christina McDermott. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News.